Thursday, but it feels like a Wednesday. But that's what happens when you're preparing to play for Monday Night Football as we continue setting the stage for the Bengals. Big, 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 big. I'm going to say this to make Andrew angry. Shabanger of a game between the Bills and the Bengals at Paycor Stadium. And what you could argue, according to some people, including myself, might be the best Monday Night Football game ever. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by the man himself, Andrew Gillis. Mike Nislik has the night off. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Just some uh, quick updates for you guys injury-wise. Sam Hubbard, we mentioned this the other day on the podcast. He is day-to-day. He was a limited participant in practice, which is encouraging because he did not practice at all last week. Um, How limited? We'll see how the rest of the week goes and what Zach Taylor uh, says ahead of Monday. Uh, Even better news, Hayden Hurst, who has missed the last three weeks uh, with a calf injury he suffered against the Chiefs. He told reporters he feels, quote-unquote, ready to go. Uh, Zach Taylor said that there were positive signs, although he was not quick to declare whether he'd be ready for Monday or not. Although, again, it seems to be headed in that direction. He's not wearing a boot. He wasn't wearing one last week. The reason why he didn't play last week is because he felt fine until his calf started to tighten up uh, after Wednesday. And because it was a short week, Zach Taylor said to Hurst, according to Hurst, give it another week. You know, we don't want to aggravate that, which was the right call because it gave him more time to heal. And then the not-so-good part. I usually get to the bad news first, but I'm going to get to it now. Lyle Collins has not been put on the IR yet, but Zach Taylor said at some point we should expect to see the right tackle go on the IR after suffering an ACL tear against the Patriots. So that leads me to this. We talked about this with Mike, uh, Andrew, back on Monday. No, Tuesday. See, I'm already getting my week thrown off, like I said. And we said, okay, Hakeem Adeniji is right behind Lyle Collins on the chart. He's going to move up. He's been playing as a swing tackle all year. He won that job in the preseason. So we said, okay, they're just going to have to put him at right tackle and maybe put Isaiah Prince or Max Sharping or whoever as a swing. Well, Joe Burrow was talking today when asked about the confidence he has in his O-line without Collins. And he said, word for word, we have full faith in Zay. And then I forget who asked him this. I think uh, it might have been Kelsey Conway from the Cincinnati Inquirer who said, who's Zay? Because it looked like he might have slipped something out. He goes, oh, you got to ask Zach about that. And Zach just didn't comment. He didn't confirm or deny that Isaiah Prince would be the starting tackle. But he did say he'd be in the mix. Prince has been on the practice squad all year. The reason for that is because, according to Taylor, uh, because he was hurt in the preseason several times, or at least at some point in the preseason, uh, it made sense to put him on the practice squad to save a roster spot. But... I don't know if Joe Burrow gave it away or not, but it actually could be Isaiah Prince who will be starting Monday. And if he does, that would be his first game starting or playing really since the Super Bowl. He started in the Super Bowl at right tackle, and since then he lost a job to Lyle Collins. And Hakeem Adeniji was behind him on a depth chart. So, Andrew, I want to ask you this. Do you think Joe Burrow had an actual Freudian slip? Or do you think he's kind of playing mind games like he did uh, back when the Bengals played Titans. Because if you remember, uh, he was saying, oh, yeah, Jamar told me he's going to be good to go. And then Zach was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jamar ended up not playing that week. So are we seeing mind games? Like, <laughs> did we actually get played? Or is it going to be Isaiah Prince starting at tackle Monday? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you. I think he might have let one slip there. Um, 
you know, I think Isaiah Prince just kind of reading reading off of what he said um, and kind of, you know, I watched the video. You guys were in there for Burrow. Uh, I was in the locker room right when it opened. Um, but, you know, you, you can kind of maybe see that he thinks he made a mistake there. Um, but, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it is still a debate. Um, I mean, you got two guys right now, Isaiah Prince, Hakeem Adeniji. Uh, Prince is a little bit longer. He's six foot seven. Um, Adeniji is six foot four. Uh, so, I, you know, and I think what you could do is if you do call up Prince and Prince is your guy at right tackle, it kind of allows you uh, to move Adeniji and keep him as your depth kind of reserve guy that can kind of move around. I mean, last year during the playoff run, he played right guard. Uh, Prince obviously played last year in the playoff run too. So, you know, I, I think that there's some options there um, just kind of in how you want to do this because you, you, like I mentioned on the podcast the other day, you know, I was fascinated to see kind of, okay, who starts, but now what are the depth roles look like? Who goes where? And I think that this is kind of one of those, I, not chess moves, but this is kind of one of those options that you can, you can set up here because if you move Prince to tackle, Prince is a tackle, then you keep your versatility along the depth uh, or along and your depth along the uh, offensive line, because, you know, if Cordell Volson needs to miss a series for whatever reason, or, you know, if, uh, if Alex Kappa needs to miss a series for whatever reason, you know, then you can put in a you know, if a was at right tackle, then maybe you got some other options and you, and, or you got fewer options than you would with Prince. So, you know, I, I would bet that, um, uh, you know, it was probably a, uh, a slip by Burrow. Um, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to be something that the Bengals are very anxious to give away. I would, you know, sometimes on Fridays, I guess this week, Saturday, when Zach Taylor is, uh, you know, he's asked about injuries and he gives some injury updates and statuses. I would bet you that uh, we are not looking at an update there. So this, this feels like something where on Monday at, Oh, I don't know, six thirty or seven o'clock when when they start jogging out for warmups. This feels like it's going to go right down to then, and we won't know for sure who's the starter until uh, until Monday. I think what's going to really give it away is well, this won't completely give it away because like it could go either way. I think we're almost guaranteed to see Isaiah Prince called up because even if Adenogy starts, they're going to have to have depth, and that's where you almost have to call up Isaiah Prince because at that point, the only other tackle you have is Max Sharping, who uh, is the backup behind Jonah Williams, and he was a swing tackle against New England when uh, Collins went out. He's going to be called up, but the question is, like, is he going to actually be warming up? Is he going to actually be suited up in the sense of, like, he looks like he's starting? Like, we're really not going to know until probably that ball is kicked. Uh, Warm-ups will give it away, but we won't say definitively until the starting lineups are announced. So we'll see how that plays out. Again, I wouldn't be shocked. I think you laid it out perfectly, Andrew. Um, they've been comfortable with Adenogy being that extra tight end slash tackle. Like he's just a part of a right. jumbo package. They seem comfortable with it, and Adenogy's been great in that role. Like when he is in that position, he actually does a really good job. And it really stood out when they played the Titans, and he set up a go-ahead touchdown for Samaje Pirine, among many other plays. Obviously, he did great. As for Prince. This is tricky because, look, obviously there's a reason why they signed Lael Collins. There's a reason why Joe Burrow was sacked at least, what, 31 times in the postseason, which is absolutely brutal. I mean, I still can't believe he got hit that many times. 
But either way, like, the tricky thing is Prince actually had some decent games. Like, that Titans game where Burrow was sacked nine times, which is a playoff record, like, he actually had an 81 grade as a pass blocker against the Titans. But other than that, he really was not that good. He was good in, like, the first half of the season. And then you look at his grades, and you can even watch his film if you don't trust the PFF grades, which, like I've said before, I'm not a hypocrite. They're not super reliable. The problem with him is he is long. Like, he's longer than Adinaji. Adinaji is 6'5". Prince is 6'7". He's a little bit heavier, too, because of that. I just don't think he's as quick. I think that's what happens is he just doesn't get on his feet quick enough. And that's where, like, if you're a Miles Garrett... Well, Miles Garrett would be more for Jonah Williams. But, like, if you're an edge rusher like a Miles Garrett or, like, a Brian Burns, like, I would worry because those guys have spin moves. They're fast. Like, they're brutal. Like, in this case... Here's the thing, and by the way, they should be grateful because if Prince starts, in a perfect world, he'd be going against Von Miller. That's a nightmare. I'm sorry, like, no disrespect, that's a nightmare for any tackle. I just want to put that out there. Von Miller, I understand he's way out of his prime, but he still went to Buffalo for a reason. He thinks he can win a championship, and he still might win one, for all we know, on the IR because he's done for the year, but it's going to be Shaq Lawson now former first-round pick who I don't want to say is a bust, but it's far from what I think people expected him to be when he was drafted seven years ago. So you got to go against Shaq Lawson. Again, he's not a Vaughn Miller, but that's a challenge. Like, Buffalo's defense is still really good. And I want to get into their defense later, but yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good front that I think people should not overlook. So, I mean, do you think that's the way to go? Like, do you think Isaiah Prince is who you should start over Hakeem Adeniji? Or are you just saying that's what the Bengals are doing because of how they feel calm? comfortable with no I, I actually think that they should start Prince um, because like you said you you can keep your 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 third down and your in I guess your third and short and your goal line packages together uh, identity can still come out and be that kind of extra tight end that blocker so you you keep that then you, like I said earlier right off the hop you can keep your depth uh, in terms of your versatility you can move Adenogy around. He can play both guards because if Adenogy has to go out and play tackle, which is obviously something that he did last game um, when, you know, you don't have Prince on the active roster, then you lose some of your options on the interior. And I think Prince kind of gives you that. Um, so, I mean, the best case scenario for the Bengals is that you put Isaiah Prince in and you're good. Everything kind of stays the same. The machine keeps churning because then Adenogy can still come in in those packages. He's still your versatility on the, uh, on the interior coming off the bench. And you still have, you know, you still have kind of the same options that you did with Collins in there. If you put Adenogy in there, uh, you know, maybe they have to, maybe, maybe you have to make that switch at some point. Who's to say, um, but if Adenogy is your first option, then you've got more to do. Then you need to come up with some new, uh, some new wrinkles to, okay, how are we going to do our, our short down yardage? Are we going to use a tight end or are we going to have to put another offensive lineman in there? Are we going to have to bump somebody else up to do that? You know, are we going to have to, you know, who's, who's going to be our backup uh, swing guard maybe? There are just other things there that, that kind of come into play. So I think Prince should be their, uh, their number one choice at right tackle. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think at least for Buffalo and, you know, I mean, depending on how short his leash is, I think maybe, you know, for the first half, for the first three quarters, that needs to be your option. I think, yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I, there's really nothing else I'd add to that. I think you make a good point. 
Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, it's it's not the worst thing. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Prince, but at the same time, it's just a matter of, you know, again, like, it, it, despite some good games last year, like, he struggled a lot. And that's part of why Lyle Collins is your guy, but now he's not. So you just have to do what you can. And at this point, like, you really have no other option. Because you're right, like, if they put a Denigy in there and, God forbid, he gets hurt, then... You just lost versatility at tackle and guard, and you lost a jumbo tight end package. And then you got to put Max Sharping in, who, I mean, has not played all year up until that New England game when he pretty much had to be the swing guy. So I'm with you on that. Going back to Buffalo's defense, though, I don't know that it's the best defense that Cincinnati faces this year, but, I mean, there, there could be a case for that. I could be wrong because there's a case to be made because if you look at their defensive DVOA, they have the fourth best at minus 12.2%. And their total DVOA as a team, it's the best in the NFL. Their DVOA, which is defense value over average, is 32.7%. So for those of you who don't know, that means the Bills are 32.7% better just overall when they're on the field. And their defense, uh, because it's minus 12.2%, they're just 12.2% better when they're on the field like that's essentially what that is and you could go into more of that later but the point is for those who know it's it, it's a case to be made that the bills are a great defense and you know like i get it they lost von miller uh that was a hit but you got tradavius white who came back from a tour in acl he suffered last year and he came back sometime i want to say in mid-november and the thing is it's it's a double-edged sword like yes they have the seventh best defense in the league um, and that starts with their pass rush. But at the same time, you know, their secondary, like I said, you, you have White who's back. But if you actually think about it, like they have not played well. The Bills have not played well against wide receiver ones. You know, that's I'm not going to say they've been terrible, but like they've been burned most games at wide receiver one, like in terms of guarding that position. So, you know, if you're Jamar Chase, if you're T. Higgins, if you're Tyler Boyd, how do you get comfortable? I mean, you can't really be comfortable. That's the wrong word. But, like, how how do you thread a secondary like that? Like, are they maybe better than they look on film? Like, is Tredavious White just getting better and better now that he's healthy again? Or what do you make of that, you know, Buffalo secondary when you when you look at that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think their secondary has 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 a lot of talent to it. Um, you know, I know Jordan Poyer is, uh, is a really, really good safety. I, I've kind of liked him for a while. Um, you know, Tredavious White. I, I think you're right. I, um, you know, I, I think he is getting slowly but surely better. Um, you know, you just kind of need him to, uh, you just kind of need him to hold up um, as he kind of, as he kind of improves. Um, you know, it, it feels like he's getting better. Um, you know, I know with, uh, I believe it was a knee, um, you know, it feels like he's kind of all the way back to where he was. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if you're if you're the Bengals right now, like it, it's kind of funny because you you can look at matchups and you can look at different things, you know, each week and kind of see okay, here's who this team uh, you know has on 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 uh, quarterback depth chart. Here's what their secondary looks like. Here's what they like to do. Blah blah blah. But at some point, you know, you're the Bengals and you have to look at it. And unless you're facing a Jalen Ramsey a I guess at this point sauce gardener like unless you're facing somebody who is at the top of the league I don't know how many guys you don't look at and say okay well Jamar Chase and T Higgins are going to go beat those guys because they're better than them you know I, I think that that's that's kind of one of the the um, 
privileges that you have of having a Jamar Chase and having a T Higgins is that there's not many matchups in this league that you don't think that they can win. So, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's a comfort thing because I think that they're pretty comfortable going into every single game that they play because I don't know how many guys that they have that they, you know, or I don't know how many guys that they're going to face that they look at and say, okay, that guy's going to be an issue because I mean, think about it from the other perspective, like what are the bills saying in their secondary room right now? You know, they're, they're obviously confident in their guys, but it's also an issue for them trying to cover the uh, Bengals top wideouts. So, you know, I'm not sure it's a, um, you know, th- there's many matchups in this league where Jamar Chase and T. Higgins look at and go, okay, we got a problem, or Zach Taylor, or Brian Callahan, or whoever go, okay, maybe we need to be aware of this. I think, you know, in a lot of situations, you just got to trust your guys, and the Bengals certainly do. And, you know, if you look at the depth chart, I mean, they're pretty banged up. Like, they should be grateful that White is back because Jordan Poyer, their starting strong safety, is questionable. Um, Micah Hyde, I mean, he's technically the third string free safety, but like he's not bad. He's on the IR, so I think he's pretty much not going to be playing anytime soon. Kyir Elam and Dane Jackson aren't bad. I actually think uh, those two are, are pretty decent, especially Elam. So I'd imagine that's that duo is probably who's going to go against T. Higgins. Uh, I expect to see Tredavious White against Jamar Chase, so that's going to be a matchup to watch. Yeah, I mean, like I said, then I mean, those injuries and the numbers speak for itself. The secondary is not elite, but they've definitely been moving away in a better direction from how they've played this year. So I think that's definitely going to be something to watch because, you know, like, and we'll talk more about this kind of later in the show, especially, especially, can't talk today, specifically from, you know, Joe Burrow's vantage point of working against, you know, that secondary. That's definitely something I want to get into. But when we come back on the Strictly Stripes podcast, we're going to talk about how the Bengals have fared in cover to zone, what that means for this specific matchup, and more on going against the Buffalo Bills defense as you're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Before we delve into the rest of the podcast, folks, I meant to mention this earlier, but make sure you sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. New Year's is coming. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but I hope you do because if you do, your resolution, one of them at least, should be joining Cincinnati Football Insider. Get the best insights, info, analysis, and even podcasts. Yes, exclusive podcasts from Cincinnati Football Insider on all things Bengals before anyone else gets it on Twitter or anywhere else out there. Make sure you sign up by going to cleveland.com slash Bengals. You click on the blue banner top of the page. You get a 14-day free trial to start, and if you want to stick with it, it's $4.99 a month, but you're only going to be charged that if you decide to continue. Again, go to cleveland.com slash Bengals. Would love to have you join the CFI club, Cincinnati Football Insider. So, Andrew, before the break, we were talking about Buffalo secondary, uh, how they've played and how they're trending in a better direction with Tredavious White being back, how they have some of the best DVOA numbers, if not the best DVOA numbers, uh, in the NFL and how they've played without Von Miller. But we talked a lot about this early in the season. I know I came a little late. I came in week four, you know, because they saved the best for last, right? <laughs> but in all seriousness, I know uh, you and Mike saw this the first couple weeks. I saw this against Miami and against, especially against Baltimore. Against Baltimore, that was, I think, where like the, 
maybe the Bengals didn't realize this, but we realized, like, you know, not only is the rest of the league really moving to a cover two zone, like a two high safety zone, but at the same time, like, they were actually doing it pretty well against the Bengals because I think coming into this year, you know, the Bengals naturally having a target on their back that comes with going against Jamar Chase, Diego, and Tyler Boyd. Like, you know, Jamar Chase was getting clouded a lot. I mean, T Higgins even at times got clouded, uh, especially when Jamar Chase was hurt. And, you know, T Higgins was that like de facto number one receiver. And we said, man, like how did the Bengals overcome this? Well, statistically, it seems like Joe Burrow, was done pretty fine against cover two. I pulled up the stat on tw- uh, online, and this is just how Burrow has done in cover two zone since week five. He's 72 of 85 in passing in cover two, against cover two. That means he's completed almost 85% of his passes. He has a .35 EPA in drop back throws in cover two, which is expected points added. So basically that says anytime he drops back in cover two, He's expected to add an additional 0.35 points. And his adjusted net yards per pass attempt, you know, which is, I mean, like I said, how many yards he gets for any completed pass and covered cover two zone, 8.2. So, like, if you're in a first and 10 or a first and short, that's like a first down right there. What have you seen, not just from Joe Burrow, but from the rest of the Bengals offense that seemed to get them more comfortable? Because if you remember... You know, you had those first five weeks when they were kind of a weird team. They were two and three, and then they went to New Orleans, and they beat the Saints and that comeback. And Joe Burrow said after that game, I think we know who we are now. So was Joe Burrow telling the truth based on these numbers? Do they really know who they are when it comes to going against a too-high safety look? Yeah, um, I, th- I think that that New Orleans game, um, you know, I, I remember I said it at the time, I that game felt to me – like a game that you look at at the end of the season and go, okay, that's, that's the moment where it kind of turned. Because if you remember that new Orleans game, they went into that game two and three, they started off the season. Oh, and two. And, and I mean, the percentages of teams that make the playoffs at Oh, and two are not good. And you go into that new Orleans game at two and three, you're staring two and four in the face. Um, you know, if, if you go two and four in that game, it, who knows kind of what becomes of this season. I mean, maybe they're just 10 and five going into this game. And right now it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Um, but to me, that was the game where you, you could kind of point to the Ravens game too, where they kind of found some, uh, they found some positivity running out of the gun. And I think that they kind of melded that together in that new Orleans game with kind of more RPO looks, more looks where, you can you can throw quick hitters over the middle to Boyd. You know it's okay if you throw a quick hitter to Jamar Chase because he can take it sixty yards for a touchdown. Um, you know that's that's just something that he can do. So, you know I think that that game where they kind of figured out that was the week where you could point to and say, okay, this is now what this offense is going to look like. It's going to be a predominantly shotgun offense. You are just going to take what defenses give you. There's going to be some RPO looks in there. There's just things that you can do to beat cover two. Because I remember at the beginning of the year, a lot of the talk was, okay, well, you can't beat cover two unless you run teams out of it, so to speak. You you have to be able to run the ball effectively because if you don't run the ball effectively – then teams are going to be able to just, you know, keep four guys to the line of scrimmage, keep two backers in the box, and then you're kind of in trouble from there. 
but the Bengals haven't, you know, they haven't really been a running team that, you know, is just kind of, Hey, we're going to run the ball 30 times, try and stop us. They run the ball kind of when they have to. Uh, and, and I think that, I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, proficient at running the ball, but they're, they're good <laughs> enough, I think in certain spots and that week, I think you're right that that Saints game is the one where instead of trying to hit the home run, instead of trying to say, let's score a touchdown on every play, I think they just looked at it and said, OK, we're going to do what defenses are giving us. And I mean, since that game, after you know, after that Ravens lost their nine and one and that one loss came to Cleveland the week that they lost Jamar Chase. So, right. You know, there, there's a lot to there's a lot to point to kind of from that moment of, of where things turn. And I think it just takes with the simple answer of taking what's there. Man, that's crazy that you say that because they've won seven straight. But if they don't lose that Cleveland game, that means they haven't lost. They wouldn't have lost since that Baltimore game. So that's a 10-game win streak. Like, that's crazy. And I agree. Like, I don't think that was just because Jamar was out. But I, that was a big part of it because, like, I understand, you know, when you give up 32 points, it's hard to come back from that. But, I mean, what, that Saints game was 30-26. If they had Jamar in that game, they could have come back. It would have been possible that if he doesn't throw that pick to A.J. Green, not the Bengals, A.J. Green, Bengals fans, I know what you're thinking. But if he doesn't throw that pick and, you know, like he actually has a Jamar Chase where he can, you know, do those check downs and those intermediate routes you mentioned. And, yeah, that they could be on a 10-game win streak right now. And people look at Joe Burrow and say, by George, he's a genius. And I think he still is. I'm not saying he isn't because, like, you just look at their numbers and it is just through the roof, you know, in that 10-game stretch, especially in the last seven games where they have won seven straight. But, you know, I think that's that's what it is, is, you know, you, you got to attack the pass defense. like, And, you know, they're going to do that. Like, Joe Burrow talks about taking what the defense gives them, and they're going to attack the pass defense. You know, you got to convert in the red zone with touchdowns. And, you know, they've been good with that. I think, you know, they haven't really had any red zone struggles in that stretch. That's one of the best things you could look at is their red zone efficiency. Um, And like you said, they're not known to be one to finesse the run. I mean, obviously, Mixon had the game against Carolina. And Samaje Piran had his game against Kansas City when Mixon was out with a concussion. But I think you have to establish the run. In those situations you mentioned, I'm not saying establish it where it's so run heavy, but you got to establish it in the situations you mentioned. That's a big thing you got to do, especially because, like I said, you know, I get it. You don't have Lyle Collins, but the Bills don't have Von Miller either. And, you know, like the Bengals offensive line has played pretty well since technically that uh, Cleveland game. You could say since New Orleans, but where they've really, really played their best in the last 10 games has been since the Cleveland game. Um, like I said, I, I'd have to look at how many sacks they've allowed, but I don't think they've allowed more than 10 total, which is crazy because that's less than what they allowed in the first two weeks combined. So they've been clicking. I think they've been clicking enough to where, yeah, you're going to get enough out of the run. Not a lot, not a whole bunch, just enough. Um, and I think that's something definitely to look at is, you know, how does Mixon kind of follow up with uh, the game he had against New England? I know uh, it was better than how he played at Tampa, but. You know, how does he follow that up, especially with the way Samaj P. Ryan has been playing since uh, really you could go back to that Steelers game is when we really heard his name more than we've heard all year. This is going to be a lot of fun. Like it's like I said, it's only Thursday, but it feels like Wednesday and we have so much more to get through because I don't know. Andrew, does Monday feel like an eternity from now? Like to me, it does. I don't know about you. Like, what do you think? Well, I mean, time doesn't really exist after Christmas and before New Year's. <laughs> um, like, I mean, you're kind of in that weird moment where, like, 
you just turn on the TV at two o'clock and there's some bowl game going on and, you know, traffic is crazy no matter where, what time of day, just because, um, you know, no matter just, it's just, everybody's off and people, especially this week with, um, you know, the holidays being on, on weekends, you got people that are, you know, taking a lot of days off, um, you know, kind of before and after that. So, you know, Christmas was observed this year on a Monday you know, you got New Year's Eve on a Saturday, so a lot of people are probably taking Friday. It's just everything's screwy, and it, it just messes with my head, especially when you show up and Luana Rumo is like, well, today's actually Wednesday, and it's really Thursday, but it feels like a weekend. It's just everything's screwed up. It's nice because you get that extra day off. Like with, I mean, with Christmas, you get the extra two days off, but otherwise, you normally get that extra day off. I know Joe Burrow said he's not a fan of that because he's like, you know, he said today, like, I feel like I should be working, you know, and he obviously tries to get ahead on watching film, watching tape, and getting an extra lift or two in. So, you know, with that man, he's always working. He's always pushing P, like, especially when you're, I'm going to say right now, this this should be a new lap, a rap lyric. When you're Joey B, you're pushing P. I mean, is that pretty good, or am I, or am I just in over my head? If you're Joey B, yeah, you should be pushing P. Don't ever say that again. Okay, if you're Joey B, you're pushing P. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like, yeah, it is weird. And even he said, like, this week and other weeks where they had like the long week, like when they played Cleveland on Monday night. Yeah, it's just something you're not really used to. But hey, we'll take the extra time. I mean, us beat writers, man, people don't see behind the scenes, but that six day a week grind. And almost working two weeks straight before Christmas, man, it'll get to you. So we'll, we'll gladly take it. But speaking of Joey B and the Bengals, uh, j- just to wrap up, we do this. I know it's every Wednesday, but we're going to act like today's Wednesday. Every Thursday. Or, see, I did it again. Every Wednesday, but today's Thursday, we do the Burrow MVP ranking. So this is going to be a special one because we're seeing something that we have not seen before. And that is Joe Burrow's highest ranking at number two. At number one, it's still Patrick Mahomes at minus 500. Now, here's where things get a little crazy. He was plus 165, which put him in second. Then it was minus 225 after the Jalen Hurts news. Then it dropped to... Or it, actually, it increased to minus 500. So it was down, then up, and then down again. No, up, down, and up again. Uh, so Patrick Mahomes is at minus 500, and it fluctuated a lot for him. Joe Burrow, here we go. Drum roll. Plus 700. Last week, he was plus 1,000, tied with Josh Allen. They were tied for third. So Josh Allen is number three. He stays at number three, plus 800. So very, very close to Burrow. Very close. He was also plus 1,000, like I said. Uh, Jalen Hurts, unfortunately for him, is at number four. Uh, his odds are plus 1,000. And to kind of walk you through it again, it was minus 150. Right after he got hurt, it was plus 250. And then since then, it's dropped to plus 1,000. And this is someone at number five I'm not shocked, but also amazed to see at the same time. Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson, plus 13,000. Uh, he did actually drop because he was at plus 10,000, which is crazy. So he's had even higher odds than this. But, hey, I mean, I know he's not going to win it. He's not close to winning it, but good for him. Like, if anybody is the best wide receiver in the league, I mean, Jamar Chase might hate me for this, although he might agree at the same time. Like, Justin Jefferson may be the best receiver this year. Although if Jamar Chase wasn't hurt, it's debatable. But, man, he's a dog. Anyhow, going back to those top two rankings. So you look at that. Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow. I get it. There's like a plus 1,200 differential, mathematically speaking, for Burrow to close the gap. But here's the thing. 
I'm going to say what I think of this, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Andrew. Not only do I think it's possible for Joe Burrow to take that first spot over Patrick Mahomes, not only do I think it's possible, I think there's a good chance. Because here's the thing. If Joe Burrow outduels Josh Allen, not that Josh Allen will do poorly, but like if he plays better, which I think he will, and I'll get to that. Hear me out. But if he plays better and Patrick Mahomes plays – they play the Broncos this week, right? Or is that next week? I'm going to get mixed up. Or are they playing uh, the Raiders this week? They, they finish with the Raiders and the Broncos. I'd have to look it up. Gotcha. Okay, so they play the Raiders and the Broncos. Uh, Raiders are just kind of a weird team. So I think how Mahomes does varies. Like there's different ways to look at it. But I tell you what, though, uh, you know, the Broncos, look, as bad as they've been, as horrible as they've been, and I understand a lot of it is on a lot of different things, their defense is not bad. At one point this year, they had the best scoring defense in the league. Like, it's crazy to think at one point they had the best scoring defense and the worst scoring offense, which, again, that's why you're a 4-11 and team like they are, but they have a really good defense. Like, that is not a bad thing to have at all. Um, and I get it. He torched them in Denver already, and it's going to be even tougher for Denver when they go to Kansas City, especially with the fact that they don't have their head coach anymore, for better or worse, although mostly for better, but... You know, I think it's possible that maybe they have a good game against him and Burrow balls out, like I said, against Josh Allen. And then it, whether or not Lamar Jackson is back in time for that Week 18 game, which is, I won't say shitbanger, although I just said it. It'll be a good game. Sorry, Andrew. Um, it'll be a good game that I think, uh, you know, will still be another chance for Joe Burrow to redeem himself from that Week 5 game, which, like we said, since that day, he's been nothing but great. So he'll definitely want to look back at that and say, hey, here's what I did wrong. I'm going to do 10 times better than that and better than what I'm doing now. Um, I think, like I said, if he plays really well, and I think he will, if he plays really well and Mahomes doesn't drop a dud, I don't think he'll drop a dud, but like he doesn't play his best ball against, you know, at least Denver. I don't know about Las Vegas, at least Denver. And on top of all of this, you get, here's the thing, and you would actually agree with me on this, I think, on this specific part. If the Bengals win out, they beat Buffalo, they beat Baltimore, and somehow the Broncos play catch-up and get to the Chiefs, get an upset, or maybe even the Raiders get an upset no matter how Mahomes does, the Bengals are a one seed. And at that point, you have to get serious about Burrow. If all of these things I just said happen, they get the one seed, he balls out the next two weeks, and he balls out over Allen, Mahomes doesn't have the best game against either Vegas or Denver. I think Joe Burrow's your MVP. I mean, at this point, like, I don't know. It's That's a very – that's going to be a harder argument to take down than trying to argue that he should be MVP. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think the way that Burrow wins at this point is, um, you know, is if the Chiefs lose, the Chiefs got to lose, Burrow's got to play well over these lines, like really, really well over these last two weeks and the Bengals have got to win. Um, you know, the, the other thing too, that, that you got to kind of take under consideration is that Jalen hurts his odds really tanked when he got hurt, but there's a lot of reports right now that he can come back, you know, that he might be available this week. So if hurts comes back and plays really well and the Eagles get the number one seed out in the, uh, out in the NFC, there's a whole other wrinkle into that conversation. So, you know, Burrow really has to shine. You know, I'm talking Burrow has to throw, I think, over three bills in both games, and they got to win. So, I mean, it's going to be close. Um, I don't think the Burrow's chances are good right now, but it's certainly a shot. 
how good does he have to play? I mean, good is subjective, but what what is good to you as far as like they got, having they a got chance? a win? They got a win, and he's got like I said, he's got to throw for three hundred yards, I think, twice, and and they've got to look good doing it. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not like they're going to blow out the Bills. Far from it. I think it's going to be honestly. And we'll get to the predictions later this week. I don't want to give away too much, but on that note, like think about the game Joe Burrow had against Kansas City last year that week 17 game where they clinched the AFC North at home, which I think to this day is one of the best games I've seen uh, of the Bengals having followed them for so long. I mean, like, I think that's how that game's going to go. And like I said, this, this is going to be one of the best Monday night games ever. I mean, the last time you had two teams combine for a record that like the Bengals and Bills have combined entering this game, you have to go back to 97 when the Broncos and 49ers met. And that was when they had John Elway. The Broncos did. And I think that was uh, when the 49ers, yeah, that was kind of the end of Steve Young. So you had two future Hall of Famers, Steve Young, John Elway. The Broncos ended up winning the Super Bowl that year because they were just so freaking good. Um, even though they went, they didn't even win their division, which is crazy to me because that was, yeah, the, the Chiefs won the division that year. Now I'm being an encyclopedia. But the point is, like, yeah, those were two stinking good teams. And that game lived up to the bill. These are two stinking good teams. Like, if you combine both of their records, if I do the math right, they are 23 and 7. That's, that's, that's crazy. It's week 17. It's in Cincinnati. Like, this is going to be the first Monday night game in Cincinnati in well over two years. And think about this. Think about this. I get it. It was COVID. It was a weird year. But the Bengals, when they hosted the Steelers in Monday night football, Steelers had like 11 wins entering that game. Like they had won the AFC North. They were almost going to get the one seed at some point. And guess what? The Bengals beat them without Joe Burrow, without Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley, who I think is not even in the league anymore, put a beating on the Steelers. And I think the Steelers beat themselves too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was the beginning of the end of Ben Roethlisberger or the middle of the beginning, if you want to call it that. But I mean, man, like that was COVID. So, you know, there was really nobody at that game. I was watching it on TV, and you could count how many people were there. You got to remember, these Bengals fans are hungry. They're going to be saying, hear the Bengals growling. Like, they're going to be singing that from the minute they start pre-gaming, like you talked about. I agree they're going to do that. To the end of that game, unless they lose, obviously, then it's going to be a different song. They're going to be just humming, jamming, ready to feast and claw. Bill's Mafia is going to be there. ESPN's going to be there. Shebanger. It's going to be a crazy game. I probably just went way off of my rocker there, but that is just the essence of what this game is going to be. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, he's got to play great. He's got to play well. And it's going to be a lot like that Week 17 game uh, against Kansas City last year. Threw for like 446, four touchdowns. Jamar Chase had like 266 receiving yards, which is either a record or close to a record. So, man. Um, if you, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, Monday night football is nothing to, uh, to look past, but one of the best Monday night football games ever. Maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit. They haven't even played the game yet. What's the best Monday night football game in your opinion? Actually, I want your thoughts on this. What's the best Monday night game you've seen in your lifetime? Chiefs Rams. I was just, I was just about to say that. Yeah. That game was awesome. I was just about to say that. I swear you beat me to it. I promise you I'm not just copying you because I was watching that game from the beginning to end. I was in college. I was a junior. Yeah, I was a junior. And I mean, like, honestly, that's what the Super Bowl should have been. 
Like, that should have been the Super Bowl. And it almost happened. It was like we were one overtime away in the AFC Championship from, like, the Chiefs beating the Patriots because the Patriots beat them in overtime and ended up being New England, L.A. And, of course, people would say L.A. shouldn't have been there because of what happened at the end of that game in the NFC Championship, which I'm not going to open up that kind of warmers again because that was a handful. Uh, but, man, no, that was great. Like, Mahomes, and I get it, it's Jared Goff. Like, Mahomes versus Goff, Chiefs versus Rams. That was like that was crazy, man. Now That was in the L.A. Coliseum, too. Yeah, that was in L.A., right? That was? Yeah. What about, well, well the Ravens and the Rams played, too, right? Either that year or a year later. They played, a, no, it was a year later when Lamar won MVP. They played on Monday Night Football, too. That was a pretty game good, too, I think. No, it was not. The Ra- the Ravens won that game 45-6. to six. Oh, no, you're right. It was supposed to live up to the hype, and it didn't. That's what I was thinking of. It was supposed to be like that year's version of the Rams-Chiefs game. You're right. But, well, you covered the Ravens, so you know better than I did. But w- was that game in Baltimore? No, that was in L.A. in 2019. Man, L.A., man, that Coliseum just had all those games. And now it's SoFi Stadium. Already hosted one Super Bowl in like less than three years under its belt. But how about that? Man, this is going to be a good one. Well, folks, we're going to save the excitement for now. We're going to put the brakes on this one as tomorrow Mike Nislick and I will break down the other side of this matchup, looking at the Bengals' defense and how they go against one of the league's best quarterbacks, as we mentioned, Josh Allen. Plus, we might have a special guest. I don't want to give it away because you have to stay tuned and find out. But once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you tomorrow. Have a great night.